But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, the patriarch David, that both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. 
and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here with us at this weekend services here at Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to get to spend some time with you, whether you're here in the sanctuary with me or you're watching over in East Hall or online. I'm glad that you are with us. You know, it's a good thing to just sit and listen to God's Word be read, especially when it's read by such a handsome guy. I want to make sure I got the note right Pastor Jim gave me. Handsome, handsome. Uh, It doesn't matter if the note's true, it just matters that he told me to say it. So, Uh, no, I'm glad that you are with us. Just want to remind you where we are right now as a church. You know, we're standing in the shadow of this great vision that Pastor Joe has given us over the next few decades to reimagine life because of Jesus, to to catch this dream that uh, many, many people in Northeast Ohio would come to know Jesus, that churches would be started that would help them come to know Jesus and that all over the world ministry would be done because of the generosity of this particular church. What a great vision. And we're standing in the shadow of that. But before we launch that vision in January, we want to take nine weeks in this fall to walk through the book of Acts and to show you that this vision, while it may feel new, is in some ways not new at all. It is simply this church committing itself to the very things that Jesus has called all Christians to commit themselves to and to the very things that the first Christians, the early church, committed themselves to. We want to show you how fiercely biblical this vision is before we ask you to jump on board and commit to it. This is week three of that nine-week series. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to the passage of Scripture that we just heard read, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. And as you're turning, let me go ahead and give you my outline for our time together. That way, if you're a note taker, you can write these things down. Or if you're not, you can just kind of have them in your head to make sense of, of navigating our time together. Three things, very simple, they go like this. First, I want us to talk about what we must do. Second, how we must do it. And then third, how we know it will work. Okay, what we must do, how we must do it, and then how we know it will work. Let's start with the first one, what we must do. I just want to give it to you right off the bat and then explain it. Here's what we must do. As a church, we will never be successful in the vision that Pastor Joe has given to us or to what the, the mission that Jesus himself has given to us in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1-8, where he tells us to go into the world and make disciples, to be his witnesses. We will never be successful in that mission without this simple thing. We must talk about Jesus with other people. There is no way for the mission to go forward There is no way for the vision of this church to go forward apart from people talking to people about Jesus. Now, let me be clear. I don't just mean professional people like me. I don't just mean people who are given a microphone and a stage and everybody looks at them and they talk about Jesus. I I would hope that happens. I hope that's what I'm going to do this morning. But I mean regular people. I mean, the vision and mission of this church will never go forward unless you 
And the places you work and the places you live and the places you hang out are talking to those around you about Jesus. There is no substitute for it. It is what we must do. And if you've been in the church for a while, that may seem like common sense to you. You may think, well, of course, I, I don't need you to say that. But, but I think we do need to say it. And, and the reason why is because there's a thinking in the church that goes a little something like this. If we live good enough lives, if we live with enough integrity, if we raise uh, a moral children, if, if we are kind, if we are generous, then people will come to know Jesus simply by watching us. We won't have to explain it. We won't have to talk about it. They'll just see the way we live and they will come to faith in Jesus. Of course, there are two problems with that. One of those problems is here in Acts 2, and, and another problem is not. Let me start with the one that's not in Acts 2, and that is this. I, I want you to understand that your friends and family members and neighbors who are not Christians, they also want to live lives of integrity. They also want to raise children who are good moral citizens. They also are known and want to be known for their kindness and for their generosity. Christians don't have the corner mark or the market cornered on integrity or family or kindness or generosity. In fact, as someone who grew up in the church, I sometimes wonder if we're in the market at all. So if the thinking goes that we will live good lives and people around us will, will come to know Jesus simply for that, we're underestimating the fact that when our neighbors see us trying to live with integrity, integrity they will just say, oh, they're like us. They want to be good people like us. They want to have good families like us. They want to be generous like us. That is not going to do it. The second problem with thinking that we could just live a certain way and people would come to know Jesus without us talking about it, is that that is not what happens in the Bible. Now, let me set the context here for you in Acts chapter 2, because we pick up the passage in verse 14. Jesus has told the disciples in Acts chapter 1 that he wants them to be his witnesses, kind of here, there, and everywhere. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He means literally kind of in a Dr. Seuss fashion, here, there, and everywhere. But he tells them, don't go anywhere and don't say anything until my Holy Spirit falls on you. He says, when that happens, then you'll be ready. Well, sure enough, they are in an upper room praying, waiting, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they begin to have flaming tongues of fire rest on them. And I know you're saying, Zach, what does that mean? I got to tell you, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I read a bunch of books this week, and I got to tell you, they don't either. But the result of that is that people begin to speak in languages that they don't know, they begin to speak in languages they've never heard. Now, the significance of that is it happens in a time of year when people in this area have traveled to gather in this area from all over the world. So what happens is people who are visiting the area who are from far off places, who don't know anyone in the area who speaks their language, begin to hear their language. And so a crowd starts to form, thousands of people who are saying, wait a minute, that guy is speaking in my native language. How does he know my language? And this massive crowd forms. And yet when that happens, you would think people are going, wow, something miraculous is happening. Wow, something supernatural is happening. There must be a God. That God must be the God of Jesus. I should be a Christian. 
but they don't. Do you know what they say? They say the same thing about these people that you say about your uncle at Thanksgiving. They're drunk. They're drunk. That's why they're acting like this. They're drunk. So, so you see, if Peter doesn't get up and explain, beginning in verse 14, even though God is doing something miraculous, even though there are flaming tongues of fire, even though people are speaking in languages they do not even know, the crowds are going to miss it. And here's what I want you to see. If flaming tongues of fire and speaking in languages you've never even heard are not enough on their own without explanation— to lead someone to Jesus, neither is your moral family. Neither is my generosity. Neither is your kindness. Here's the truth. No one stumbles into God. No one stumbles into an understanding of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Someone has to tell them. By the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you don't know what you are, you don't really know where you are with God at the moment, maybe somebody brought you. And maybe that somebody's been talking to you about Jesus and you're wondering, why does it matter to them so much that I believe? Why does it matter to them that I know? Well, here's the answer. Because we believe that God is knowable, but we also believe no one stumbles into him. We all needed someone to share with us. Most of us needed someone's to share with us, to lead us, to point us to Jesus. And friends, I'm here to tell you, there will not be this great movement of God that results in thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus and churches being planted and gospel ministry being done apart from this reality. People like you and people like me must talk about Jesus with those around them. There is no substitute for that. There is no way to go forward without that. And so when we say we want to see thousands of people come to faith, we mean we, we want to help you talk to them about Jesus. When we mean we want to plant gospel-centered churches, we mean churches that are talking to people about Jesus. When we want to support global ministry, we mean ministries that point people to Jesus. There is no substitute for that. It is what we must do. The second thing I want you to see, though, is how we must do it. So, okay, we have to talk about Jesus. What's that look like? Well, I think Peter gives us a roadmap here in Acts 2. What does it look like to talk about Jesus? In fact, I want to draw out four things for you that are true of how he talks about Jesus that I think need to be true of how we talk about Jesus. Four things. Here's the first one. It's simple. It's simple. When you read his message, it's not extravagant. He doesn't even tell a story. He doesn't, and I know Pastor Joe's here, this is going to be awkward. He doesn't even have a three-point outline. He doesn't even tell a joke. I'm not sure he went to seminary, to be honest. That's what they teach you. There, his message is simple. Do you know what his message is? Well, you can find it in verse 22 and 23 and 24. Here's his message. You and I have sinned against God. In fact, God sent his own son, and in our sin, in our rebellion, we murdered him. And that's not new for us because we live lives of brokenness, lives of guilt, lives of shame, lives of sin. But God loves us so much that Jesus came to, to die for that sin. And Jesus lived a life of sinlessness and died a death 
of sinful sacrifice, meaning he took our place. So that when he rose from the dead, God would invite everybody who grabbed hold of Jesus in faith that their sin, whatever they'd done, whatever made them feel guilty, whatever made them feel ashamed would be put onto Jesus and God's anger would be poured out on him so that when he died and rose, God could take his perfect life and credit it to us so that when we stand before God, God doesn't see our guilt and shame. He sees Jesus's righteousness. That is the simple message that Peter gives. Because friends, let me tell you something. That is the message that we have. Paul puts it this way in the letter to the Corinthians. He says, when I was with you, I desired to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. This is our message. It's simple. We've all sinned against God. Jesus lived in our place, died in our place, and rose from the dead. When I tell you we must talk about Jesus, what I mean is we must tell people that. And by the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you don't know where you are with God, if you take away nothing else, take away this. This is our message to you. You and I have sinned against God. But he loves us so much, Jesus came and lived in our place and died in our place and rose from the dead. And if today you grab hold of him in faith, you can be forgiven. That is our message. We want to plant churches that preach that. We want to support ministries that preach that simple message. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. We need to be simple but we need to be biblical. Peter's message is simple, but notice how many times he appeals to the Bible. First, he quotes Joel chapter two. He says, they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Then he quotes two different Psalms. Now here's what I know. Peter cannot get up there and quote scripture unless he knows scripture. Which means as we go out into Northeast Ohio seeking to lead people to Christ and plant churches and support missions, I, I know those sound external to you. I know you, you think, well, wait a minute, we have three goals and they're all external goals. We need to go tell them. We need to go plant churches for them. We need to give money so that other people can reach them. Those are all external goals. And by the way, we don't apologize for that because those goals are literally what Jesus said to do in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1-8. But I want you to hear something that's implicit in those goals that I want to make explicit. And it is that we will never do those things unless we know and grow in our understanding of God's word. You will never be prepared to articulate the message of God unless you know it. You will never be driven to see gospel-centered churches planted unless you understand that the biblical model, the biblical vehicle for the gospel going forward is the local church. You will never feel a burden for global missions unless you see throughout the Bible that God desires his people to be a light to the nations. It's the Bible that forms these things in us. So let me tell you for sure that in Reimagine and our new vision, our desire is to teach you deeply and richly in a variety of ways from God's word. This church cannot waver from its commitment to grow in its biblical understanding because that is what informs our mission. Peter has a simple message, but it's from the Bible. Here's the third thing. Simple, biblical, and relevant. Peter quotes from the Old Testament multiple times. Why does he do that? Well, because his audience is primarily Jewish. 
meaning that they're familiar with the Jewish scriptures. They're familiar with the Hebrew Bible. They've read it. They understand it. He is showing them how they are so close to understanding what God is doing. He's building upon the foundation of their beliefs to show them how close they are to Jesus. He understands his audience. He is preaching to a particular audience. By the way, if you contrast this with what Paul does in Acts 17, which we'll look at in a few weeks, you'll see that Paul, when preaching to a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience in Athens, never quotes the Old Testament once. Instead, he quotes Greek poetry. Why? Well, because they're not reading the Old Testament. They're reading Greek poetry. But whether we're looking at Paul in Acts 17 or Peter in Acts 2, here's the point. We are not ready to share Jesus with people around us until we understand them. Who are they? What do they believe? What do they think? We, we don't want to form caricatures in our minds of people. We want to listen to them, spend time with them, which means we cannot spend all of our time on this campus. Because if we want to get to know our neighbors, if we want to learn them, we have to be with them. That also means we can't live in a Christian bubble. We've got to form relationships with people that are meaningful and deep. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you know this. We do want to share Jesus with you because we believe he is the only way for a person to have a relationship with God. But when I say we want to share Jesus with you, I'm emphasizing with you. What do you believe? What are your fears? What are your concerns? What are, what are the things that keep you up at night? See, as we get to know you, even as a pastor, as I get to know you and you share those things with me, my desire is to bring the message to you in a way that makes sense to you to be relevant to you. But here's the fourth thing. We have to be simple. We have to be biblical. We have to be relevant. We have to be challenging. There is just no escaping this. To preach the gospel of Jesus, to share the gospel of Jesus is at some point to call people to a decision. I hope after many conversations, I hope after everything's been explained and questions have been answered and objections have been dealt with, I hope it's done in a winsome and a kind way. But when they come to Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and say, what must we do? He inescapably tells them, you must repent and be baptized. Here's what he means. You know, his sermon is really this. It, it's, it's kind of funny in how offensive it is. His sermon is this, God sent his son. That was nice of him. Of course, you murdered him. And now you're in big trouble. And they come to Peter and they say, what must we do? And Peter says, you need to repent, which means you need to realize that God sent his son and you murdered him. You need to realize that you're an enemy of God. You, you and I, we, we don't want to do things God's way. We don't want to listen to God. We don't trust God. We want to listen to ourselves. We want to trust ourselves. We want to do it our way. We live in a broken world, and it's broken to us, but it's also broken by us. To repent is to say, I know that, and I hate it, and I don't want it. And to be baptized is to say, but the very one I murdered is the one who died for me. And just as he died and was raised from the dead, so also I believe in him. I will die and raise from the dead. There's no getting around that. There's no way of truly talking about Jesus that doesn't result in saying to someone, will you repent? Will you be baptized? And to that, I might just add, if you're here and you're not a Christian, will you? Will you? 
Will you? Will you acknowledge your rebellion before God? Will you trust that Jesus alone has a way for you to be reconciled to God through his life and his death and his resurrection? That leads me to my third point, which is to say, will it work? How do we know it'll work? Because I know what you're thinking, right? You're you're probably thinking one of two things. Either, Either one, you're thinking, okay, Zach, let me get this straight. I have to talk about Jesus. That's hard to do. And I don't just have to talk about him, but I have to do it in a way that's simple, biblical, relevant, and challenging. Yeah, I'm never gonna be able to do that. Or maybe if you have a little more pride, you're going, no, I can do that. But I don't think it's gonna work. I don't think they're gonna listen. I don't think they're gonna change. From where would we derive confidence? Well, let me give you two two places. Here's the first place. It works in Acts chapter two. He said, well, that's the Bible. That's Peter. He's an apostle. But, but up to this point, what do we know about Peter? He's a coward. He denies Jesus. He's a hothead. He has an anger problem. That's what we know about Peter. And all of a sudden in Acts 2, he preaches Jesus like a boss. What happened? Well, we'll look at what happened in just a minute. But if he can do it, I'm just telling you, if he can do it, you can do it. But here's the second thing. And I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. God is more passionate about reaching lost people than you and I will ever be. I'm going to say it again just so it sticks with you. Here's how you know it'll work. God is more passionate about reaching lost people than you'll ever be. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm just telling you, 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 you think I'm up here with passion. Listen, I wasn't born caring about your spiritual state. I really wasn't. I wasn't even born caring about mine. I'm up here as a representative of a God who cares fiercely about you. God is more passionate about reaching lost people than we will ever be. How do you know that? Well, it's all over Acts chapter two. And by the way, when I use the word God, I mean the Christian idea of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God in three persons. And if you look in Acts chapter two, you can see the Godhead all over it. For example, look at verse 22, 23, and 24. Peter says, the content of his message is that God the Father has a plan. Isn't that what he says? In verse 22, he says, this Jesus who God the Father proved to you was was from him through miracles. This Jesus was delivered up to be crucified. That was God's plan. And was raised from the dead. That was God's plan. In other words, here's what Peter's saying. That God from eternity past cared so much about your family, family member, friend, neighbor that he came up with a plan. Before they were even born, he came up with a plan. That's how much it matters to him. Then he says, same three verses, 22, 23, 24, that God the Son carries out the plan. That God the Father says, I have a plan on how we can rescue people from my judgment. I have a plan on how people can be forgiven, how they can be set free from their guilt and shame. I have a plan for that, only it's going to require someone to die. And God the Son says, I'll do it. Now, I might just add, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you say, see, this is the problem with Christianity. What kind of a God loves me enough to murder his own son? But that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the God of the Bible, who is three, Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet one. God's plan involves his own death. Listen, here's what that means if you're a Christian. 
I need you to understand this because talking about Jesus can be scary and intimidating, right? But there is nothing God will ever ask you to do to reach a lost person that is worse or harder than dying on a cross. But that's how passionate Jesus is about reaching your friend and your family member and your neighbor. The other thing you'll notice is that God the Spirit is all over Acts 2. What drew the crowd in the first place? Was it pamphlets they passed out? Hey, come hear Peter preach. Did they go on 95.5 the fish and go, hey, if you don't have anything going on this weekend and you're Christian, so you probably don't. Too a little too close to home. Come here, this conference where Peter is preaching. No, nobody comes for Peter. You know what draws the crowd? Flaming tongues of fire. That's another way of saying the Holy Spirit drew the crowd. And in Acts chapter two, verse 37, when they come to Peter and they go, what must we do? Why did they ask that? Because they were cut to the heart. Well, who cut them? Well, Jesus tells us in the gospel of John that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, which means the Holy Spirit was before the message and the Holy Spirit was after the message. But if the message itself cut them to the heart, it means the Holy Spirit was during the message. So here's what Acts 2 really says. If people in obedience to Jesus's plan to be his witnesses, get up and talk, here's what they'll know. Doing so is merely a speck in the infinite eternal plan of the Father, which was carried out brutally by the Son and the Holy Spirit will be before them, during them, and after them. That's how you know it will work. And let me end with this. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, can I just make this passage come alive for you just really quick? Why are you here? Why do you care what I'm talking about? Why do you keep coming? Why are you on the edge of your seat? Why can't you shake it throughout the week? Here's, what I'm, here's why. It's not because of me. It's not because of the microphone. It's not because of the jacket. It's not because of the screens. Here's why. Because God is so passionate about reaching you that his Holy Spirit, even now, is working on your heart. You can be forgiven. You can be made new. You can know God. And I know what you're asking, well, what do I have to do? And I'll just tell you the same thing Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Repent and be baptized. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so grateful for your heart for lost people. Because if it wasn't for your heart, for people that are lost, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be up here. I'd still be lost. No one would be here. I'm grateful for the mission you've given us to care for people the way you care for them, to take your message to them. But it's so intimidating and so challenging and so difficult. And so I'm even grateful for the book of Acts which is just the story of ordinary people like us seeing you make good on your promise to reach people. Would you do that in Northeast Ohio? Would you even begin doing that right here and right now with the people who are sitting in the pews or sitting over in East Hall or watching online and know that you are working on their heart? 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.